Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Big Footy International Podcast. I am, of course, the Wookiee, but with me today, I have Brian Barish, who is the media manager for the United States Australian Football League. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Mr. Wookiee, sir. How you doing? It's uh, very early in the morning for me, so <laughs> it's uh, all very late <laughs> yes. in my day. It depends on how you look at it. Yeah, it depends on whose side you're on. Well, I work night shift, so it's uh, late for me, whatever way you look at it. And God bless you, sir. No, no, I don't think he does. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, US Nationals, they're upon us once more uh, in Austin, back in Austin this time. Yep, uh, this is the uh, second time in three years, and actually the third time in five years that we've been in the uh, Texan capital. It's a beautiful city, and uh, one of the things I love about it is, uh, you know, Austin's a pretty decent-sized city, um, and uh, we get a fair bit of buzz about this this tournament. Um each of the last two times we've had it there, we've had a number of curious onlookers who have just heard about the sport, uh, heard about the, uh, the the carnival, and have come out and uh, checked it out. So it's a good time to brush up on your footy rules because you're going to be explaining it to uh, so many new people, but we enjoy it. And as I said, it's a great city, and they welcome us with open arms. Now, how do you do well, – like you said, it's the third time in five years, and obviously you had it uh... – I can't remember where it was last year now, but you had it somewhere else last year and obviously somewhere else uh, in those intervening years as well. How do you determine where you hold the Nationals? I mean, it's a big yeah, tournament. It is. It, it was in um, it was in Columbus, Ohio. Actually, outside of Columbus, Ohio, in a town of uh, Dublin, uh, which is about uh, it's about half an hour's drive outside of uh, Columbus. Um, but it's... Uh, so basically what happens is, is there's a number of groups who... Uh, pitch, uh, you know, having the uh, having the tournament in their city. Uh, last year, Austin beat out uh, Racine, Wisconsin, as well as Sarasota, Florida, uh, to host uh, this year's Nationals. Um, so basically, uh, those cities that are interested, they um, they put forth proposals at the uh, administrators' meeting, uh, which is the Friday of. Uh, Friday before Nationals, and uh, the board puts it to a vote. Uh, the vote. Uh, usually happens uh, in between nationals and and the beginning of the, the new, right around New Year's. Um, so it happens sometime in that time. We've had it happen in some cases before that. We've had it in some cases happen, you know, afterwards. But um, but yeah, that's basically what happens. They they say, hey, we want to host, and the board makes a decision. Okay, so that's the city itself. It's it's not like just a football club in the area. That says we um, like this, or is it just a combination of the two? You know, they they work in concert with it to an extent, yep. but mo- you know they'll they'll provide support will the club. But for example, uh, um, I know uh, Racine is not too far from Milwaukee, and I know uh, the Bombers, uh, Milwaukee Bombers, um, they will provide some support. Um, it, it depends. I think it, it's more or less the the city itself because they're the ones who. Um, they're, they're the ones who usually offer as far as, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and, and whatnot. Um, I know that Racine, uh, for example, was uh, uh, they had gotten a number of uh, uh, municipal uh, services involved, uh, the, the tourism board. Uh, we actually had one of our regional tournaments there um, back in July. Um, so, uh, one of the things that we're also looking for is obviously a place to play. Um, it's not like Australia where there's, you know, 
clusters of five and six cricket fields lying around. Um, we basically, as we are this year, are looking for giant parcels of land, in this case, you know, a soccer complex, um, which is where it'll be in Austin as the Onion Creek soccer complex, because basically we have to accommodate six footy fields or five footy fields. So that's into effect as well, but we also look for, for those considerations as well. So there's a lot and it's a very, very thorough process, uh, and as well as ease of getting in and out of the city because, you know, you're going to have people that are coming from all over the country and in some cases beyond because we have folks coming in from Canada. And this year we actually have uh, a group of umpires traveling in from Australia. So all of that, it's a lot of logistics. It's a lot of, a lot of different factors that come into making the decision. Okay. Um, is there a favorite for the one after this? Um, I I can't say, honestly, because I don't know. Um, I would probably know after uh, Nationals um, this year. I know that the two cities that I had mentioned that didn't host it, Racine and Sarasota, Florida, which is uh, on the west coast of Florida, down, I would say, about an hour-plus south drive of uh, Tampa, that area are uh, in the running or were in the running of last year. So uh, as far as I know, they're still for consideration, but I haven't heard anything as far as this year yet. Okay. Um, so we're talking about the, the grounds that have to be included in the process. You're playing in a soccer complex this year? Uh, yes. And um, so basically it, it, the, the field area that has to be uh, big enough. Uh, and, and we did last year, actually, the Dari uh, soccer fields, um, in fact, I dare say, I think going all the way back, I want to say as far back as uh, uh, in Mason, Ohio in 2012 and 2009, we've played in the soccer complex. I think the only year, well, no, uh, now that I think about it, that's pretty much what we have to play on. Because I was thinking back to when we played at the Air Force Academy in Colorado, and that was a basically a similar situation. So. You know, everyone, I'm sure, knows how big the footy grounds are and think about the fact that, you know, we don't have dedicated grounds to it. So we have to find large parcels of land and, and considering how big soccer is in this country, especially when you think of suburban areas, um, you know, this is it's the best way to go. Um, you know, and like I said, we're, you're dealing with five fields. And not all the fields are full size. Uh, some of them are a little bit smaller because, you know, Division Three and the men's side and also uh, the women's sides are dealing with 16, 16 a side. Uh, so it's a little bit smaller to accommodate that. Um, so, but still, it, it's, yeah, we end up playing on those because they're easiest to accommodate. Okay. So um, how many teams are you expecting to come down this weekend? Well, this is our largest uh, tournament in terms of uh, number of teams competing, which includes the reserve sides and uh, partial sides. Uh, we actually have added a second women's division to go with the four men's division. And the uh, fourth division of the men's tournament has uh, the largest uh, that we've had in some time is actually 12 entries. So overall, we're looking at 45 teams across six divisions, uh, numerating uh, probably about 45 or so clubs, uh, actually closer to about 40 clubs, both in the U.S. and Canada. So it's the biggest field we've ever had. Uh, really, really excited about it. 
Um, as I mentioned, we have um, two women's divisions this year to celebrate the uh, 10th anniversary of the women's competition. Um, the, they had it for the first time back in 2005 in Milwaukee. Uh, and it's uh, great to see how well that uh, has grown in this country uh, to go from 30 women over three teams to uh, 170 women representing uh, 15 clubs uh, across the country, again, with a couple of Canadians as well. Okay, so um, previously it was we were told it was like a 1,000 players. Is it more than that? Has there been an increase with the number of teams, or is it still about the same? I think it's a little bit more than 1,000. I think I think that's what you're, about what you're looking at. Um, you know, some of the teams are bringing more players this year. Um, I know uh, there's a good deal of clubs, just looking at what I have here, uh, that are bringing enough for one and a half to two teams on the men's side. Uh, and Austin, the home side, is bringing enough for two and a half sides. So uh, there's a lot of lot coming. I, I think about, uh, you know, 1,000 is about accurate, maybe a little bit more. So what, what happens with teams that bring, you're saying teams bring two and a half or one and a half sides. What happens with those half a sides? So they go into uh, Division Four. Uh, as I mentioned, there are four men's divisions, Division One, of course, being the top-level size. There is one reserve team. Uh, Austin's reserve team is actually playing down in Division Three, And then the rest, they um, play down in Division Four either as a standalone side. We have, do have a couple of standalone reserve sides. Uh, and the others, they uh, merge with either other reserve sides or um, with teams that haven't brought enough. For example, um, the Calgary's reserve side, the Calgary Kangaroos reserve side, will be teaming up with the uh, Milwaukee Bombers folks that are coming. Um, same thing with uh, Orange, the Orange County Bombers. Their uh, reserve side are teaming up with the San Diego Lions. And then you have New York Magpies reserves teaming up with the Columbus Jackaroos reserves, uh, just to give you an example. Um, so, yeah, they're basically it serves two purposes. Firstly, we're not going to turn anybody away. If you want to come and play and, you know, you're going to come all the way out to nationals, we're going to make sure you get a game in. And the other side of that is, is some of these bigger clubs, they now have a, a reserve pool in case of injuries or whatnot. They have players who they can call up. Now there are rules in place to limit, you know, once you've moved up, say from division four up to division two or division one to play for the other side, you know, you can't move back down, but uh, it gives some of these teams a chance to, to not just bring 22 players or 24 players. They can bring 40 players if that's who's interested in coming. So that division four is a lot of fun because it gives guys and it gives guys a chance to get a run, even if it's not up in the division one or division two level. Okay. So, the competition is it's run, it runs over two days from October seventeenth to the eighteenth. How many? Yes, how many, it does. How many games can a club expect to play during that period? Everyone is guaranteed three matches. Um, the uh, top three men's divisions uh, are doing. You play. Uh, uh, it's eight teams, and each of the teams are divided into two pools. So you play a game on Saturday afternoon or on Saturday morning, a game on Saturday afternoon, and a game on Sunday morning. And then the best record of each of the two pools advances to the grand final, which is Sunday afternoon. Um, that fourth division that I was telling you about, uh, that's 12 teams over four pools. So the winners of each pool on Saturday advance to the game, to the semifinals on Sunday. And then the other teams will play consolation matches. Um, the women's uh, tournament is a little bit different this year. There is no grand final. 
Division One uh, is made up of five teams, which are all whole teams that are had enough to where they could play 16 aside. Um, they're, so they're actually going to all play four matches. They're going to play two on Saturday and two on Sunday, and whoever has the best record wins. Uh, and then Division Two, those are four teams made up of partial clubs uh, that didn't have enough to play 16 aside. They're going to play a round robin Saturday and Sunday. They're going to play three games. And again, whoever the team with the best record will be declared to the champions there. But at the very, very least, everyone is guaranteed at least three games, two on Saturday and one on Sunday morning, uh, which is good. Again, you know, you're coming all the way out there. You're essentially playing a game and a half of full footy because each of the games are two by 20. Um, so to be able, you know, to so you, you definitely get your money's worth when you come out. Okay. Um, having a look at the uh, pools and the divisions now, I, I, I've kind of adopted the Minnesota Freeze as my USAFL team. Um, that's that's, a, that, that's a good team to adopt. Uh, they're a they're a very exciting team. Uh, they played up in Division One last year and they dropped down to Division Two. They uh, uh, they've had a, a good season. They've uh, you know, they've uh, dropped a couple games at home, uh, one to the Chicago Swans, who will be in their group. That'll actually be a really fun game because mm. they're going to be in the same pool at, at Nationals. But they have a, a, a couple of really good players, uh, including uh, Andrew Tiger Warner, who actually uh, played in West Austra Western Australia. Uh, he actually was a part of, I think, one of the first members of the West Australian Exchange Program, uh, which was... Uh, uh, forward by Tony Fairhead, who's on the USAFL's Australian uh, Advisory Council. So he was able to go over there for a year and actually work and then play in, uh, I want to say, let me let me see if I got this right, I think it's Mount Barker in Western Australia. Uh, so he got to do that. Uh, so it's, it's a very good side uh, and uh, definitely a good side to uh, get behind if you're a neutral. Mm. No, I'd, I'd, I've talked to a couple of the clubs over the years. I've talked to Austin and I've talked to Minnesota, I've talked to Chicago. Um, I've talked to Denver. Um, Denver, are they going to be tough to beat in Division One. Um, they, I, they're always tough to beat. I mean, you have to remember that they've won eight national mm. championships. Now, this is the first time. Uh, this is actually their longest drought. They haven't been to a grand final. Uh, 2011 was the last time that they made it to, to the grand final. They beat Calgary that year. Uh, they've got a very good team, and it's a good balance between uh, Aussies and Americans. Uh, they've got uh, some, some very good uh, Australian veteran players. Uh, ben, ben Harling is one. Uh, Casey Robertson, who uh, uh, is very adept at taking those high marks. He took a couple of, uh, he took a really good specky uh, in the opening match last year at Division One against uh, against Orange County. Um, they're going to be they're going to be a good side. That's that's a tough group, and uh, mm. they're going to be playing Orange County, who were the runners up last year, New York, who were the winners last year, and Dallas, uh, who were a, a very 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 good side, very talented. Um, and really, uh, looking at that group, uh, uh, Jason, the, all eight of those teams in Division One, and I'm not just saying this to you know to to make everyone feel good. I, I legitimately mean this. I think this is the first time that I can remember looking at these eight teams, having watched most of them play, and think, you know what? Every single one of them has a chance to win the national championship. So that's going to be a fun, fun uh, uh, division, fun, fun competition to watch. In fact, this may actually be the first year where a team doesn't win the group outright. We may actually see 
the, the winners of each group go two and one because it's very possible that all those teams will knock each other out at one point. Austin playing at home as well. That's going to be tough. It's um, uh... yeah. There the last two times they've had they've hosted nationals. They've won uh, something. Mm. They won the division two. Uh, title back in 2011, and they were Division One champions back in 2013. Um, they're, I mean, and like I said, they're bringing enough for you know two full sides and a side in Division Four. So they'll be, uh, they'll be, they'll run pretty deep. Uh, and they also have uh, an Aussie by the name of Kenrick Tyrell, who was uh, played for Orange County last year and uh, got a chance to watch him at the Central Regionals, and he was best on ground. Uh, Pretty much, he's a tall forward. He looks like Nick Rewalt. I mean, you look at him and you're thinking, this this guy snuck out of St. Kilda. And, um, you know, but he is uh, he's very, very good uh, forward. He'll just lead in the space and they'll just find the ball to him. Uh, Christian Merritt, a good young American. So Austin's got a very good side. I think the, the best game is going to be that game, which will most likely be on Sunday. It'll probably be for the group against the Los Angeles Dragons. The Dragons were actually a splinter group from the Orange County Bombers. They're both in the same area. Uh, they've got a big ruckman named Donald Lee. Uh, think of, of um, Eric Wallace, uh, and he's that sort of player. He's big, he's beastly, and I think uh, when I saw him play out in the Western Regionals back in June, I think the rest of the Rovers were still sort of getting adjusted to playing around him. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, they've actually done very well to uh, to adjust to that. So that group is going to be very, very scary as well, even though you would think that Austin playing at home would have the nod. But like I said, I think all, both groups, I think the entire division is going to be really exciting to watch mm. all 12 of those games over the course of two, of, of two days heading into the grand final. If we go down to Division 3, and I ask you about it, are you just going to rave on about Philadelphia? Um, well, uh, I, normally I would, uh, well, I'll say this. I know that, uh, that the Hawks have, uh, I think are just going to have enough to field a full team. Uh, they may have like one or two subs. It is only 16 aside down there and it's been sort of a struggle for, uh, for the Hawks this year. Um, I'll say this, it's a very tough group, uh, that pool a, uh, they're in with the Tulsa Buffaloes, the North Carolina Tigers, the uh, and the Ohio Valley River Rats, which is a uh, a combination of the Cincinnati and Louisville clubs, who ironically were the first two teams uh, founded in the U.S. back in uh, back actually about 20 years ago in 1996. Um, you know they've got a good side. They've played good football. Their only wins of the year have come against the Baltimore Washington Eagles, who are Division Four side, uh, but. Uh, they have talent. Ryan McGettigan, um, he's, I've said it before, I'll say it again, he's probably one of the best athletes in the country. Uh, he's still recovering from an injury that he suffered at the Parallel Cup, the uh, USA versus Canada match back in Fort Lauderdale. So he hasn't been 100%. Um, you know, but a lot of good players around. John Ginsburg, uh, who good full forward, who again is a reroll type just simply because he'll throw himself at the ball without without any sort of abandon but Tulsa's a good team they're they're very muscular North Carolina always plays the Hawks tough uh, and a good bunch of fellows too and Ohio Valley is is I think a lot better than most teams give it credit for okay and finally under the women's division down there I don't know anything about them really I mean I've heard a little bit about the freeze and the lady Bulldogs from Denver but uh, San Francisco, New York, and Sacramento are a little bit of a mystery to me. Well, uh, the cool part about uh, this is my first full year as media manager, and one of the 
cool parts of my job this year was I got to travel around to see just about everybody play, not only the, the men, but the women. I've seen every team in the, uh, on the women's side, uh, on the U S on the U S side. Anyway, I've seen just about every team with the exception, ironically enough of the Denver lady Bulldogs play. Um, and, um, San Francisco, uh, was has been the only team so far that uh, since uh, 2010 when the Bulldogs won. Uh, so the Denver Lady Bulldogs are coming in. They've won 21 consecutive games at Nationals. They've won five national championships in a row looking for number six. Denver is a very athletic club from head to toe. Just about every single person on their team has picked up footy as a second sport. Uh, Hallie Lee, who's their captain, uh, was a uh, Division One college basketball player. Uh, she does CrossFit. Uh, she is uh, uh, freakishly strong. She's a very good ruck. Uh, they've got uh, a number of other players. Tawania Clark, who is uh, probably one of the best athletes, men or women, in the USAFL. And then you have uh, some some players that have been around forever. Anna Thexton, uh, who plays in the forward line. Their vice captain is very good and is very dangerous. Um, so you have to install them as the favorites. But San Francisco, if any other team, any of the other teams are going to beat them, uh, the, the Bulldogs, I think it's going to be them. They have uh, Brett Brower, who's the second-best ruck behind Howie Lee. Uh, they've got some great athletes in Jessica Estrada, Sarah Maggione. Uh, they have a, a, a relative newcomer to the sport, uh, Meg Leone, who played uh, her first match in New York, having traveled cross-country, and she played. Uh, she ended up winning best, best rookie on ground. Um, the only other team I would install is probably a bit of a dark horse. And Minnesota always has, always brings a good team. They they're bringing enough for uh, for one and a half sides. Uh, they're very strong. Kathy Oha uh, and good defense, uh, good defense uh, with um, Brian Tyson and uh, Terry Tupper. Uh, the New York Lady Magpies are a dark horse. Uh, they're having their best season. Uh, Christina Lakata, who is the coach, uh, who is the their uh, coaching. Uh, and her first season as coach, rather, she just retired uh, after having actually played in the, that first Nationals back in 2005. 20, um, but they've gelled around her, and I think the fact that this is the first time that they've had a steady coach uh, has helped. Uh, they have uh, Heather Serpico, Kim Hemingway, another former soccer goalie who's having a great season, and then the Sacramento Lady Suns, who were grown as a, as a very – uh, tight-knit, cohesive club. They have a couple of young, good stars in uh, Laurie Quoka, who's played in Australia before, and Katie Klatt, who is, used to be a, 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 a field hockey player and is the vice captain of the national team. And even down in Division Two, there's going to be some great competition. Um, uh, the team to watch, there's a couple of teams to watch, Arizona Lady Hawks, who uh, they're uh, paired up with a couple of the girls from, um, from uh, the Tulsa Buffaloes, uh, which is growing their women's program. Uh, Arizona is made up of a couple of players who also were foundation players. And uh, and uh, the other one is the Boston Lady Demons with the Calgary Kookaburras. The Lady Demons will be with uh, Jessica uh, Wuchner, who, uh, if you watch the AFL women's competition, will know she actually played for the Western Bulldogs. And she's over here playing for the uh, – she's actually over here on the USAFL Australian Player Exchange. She's the first uh, women's AFL player that we've had, hopefully the first of many. So she's going to be uh, playing and uh, on as a player coach. So uh, that Division Two is going to be a lot of fun to watch and with the mismatch of uh, the different teams that they have down there. 
Awesome. I guess that covers the tournament, really. Um, the other thing I did want to ask is, uh, I find that like uh, talking to the guys in Europe and talking, uh, uh, the, I know the AFL thought about doing it for the International Cup with the, the nine-a-side competitions. You guys don't do that at the national tournament. Is there a reason for that? Um, I, you know, there's a, I know that we eventually want to, Dennis Ryan, who's the president of the league, has been talking about actually doing tennis-side uh, having the nine-a-side competition being uh, non-contact and the tennis-side being the, the, the metro that we have now and, and sort of codifying it. There is plans to do that, um, really to be an introduction to the sport um, and also to take advantage of the fact, you know, I mentioned before about the grounds. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, you know, a Tulsa they play their tennis side. They do have tennis side against other teams. They play in a baseball stadium, um, which is just big enough to fit a tennis side ground because you're looking at something that's roughly, you know, 120 meters from, from goalpost to goalpost. Um, there is, so there is the opportunity to capitalize that on the local level and do, you know, regional tournaments. Uh, we're doing, uh, for the first time, a college exhibition uh, where we're inviting college uh, students, not only in the USAFL, but local ones or anyone who may not, who may not have even played the game before, uh, to come to Austin uh, and, uh, you know, compete and, and get to try the sport out and then hopefully go back to their college campuses and introduce the sport to a larger audience. So we are using that as an introductory tool, which I think is great. Um, it's also uh, one of the things that Dennis mentioned in his speech last year to the to the group uh, is, uh, you know, it, it's it's a lot better for television because the field is smaller. So the hope is is maybe get something like that going and and pitch that to see if we can get some exposure that way. So it's coming. Um, you know, we've had some regional tournaments this year based on that. Uh, for the nationals, however, uh, you know the, the 18 aside footy is the way to go, just simply because it's it's the it's really the game in its original form. So that's what we want to promote for now on a national stage. Okay, um, we talked earlier about umpires coming over from uh, or coming over from Melbourne. Uh, the Riddell umpires apparently uh, they're coming over. Um, what what exactly is their role? at this like are they just coming over to play just to watch like running a clinic or they're actually doing both they're going to be uh uh providing uh umpiring to uh some of our matches at nationals they're also going to be putting on an umpire clinic on friday and they're also going to be providing feedback to the umpires that are currently there um this all started uh actually at last year's international cup where uh, they were talking, they had gotten into a conversation with the USAFL about, you know, how uh, there is a lack of umpire. And at the time, there was you know, a lot of lack of folks, you know, stepping forward and putting their hand up to umpire. Now, that's actually grown a lot uh, in the last year or so. There is actually a, a number of different places around the country that are getting, you know, their own uh, umpires that are going from maybe one or two people to umpire to where they have three or four, not just field umpire, but folks who can boundary, folks who can do goal umpire. Um, so that's what their role is. Um, I, for one, am really excited about it because, uh, you know, a lot of times you see, you know, the last couple of years we've had teams come over, uh, you know, footy club, like we had the, the Manly uh, 
giants come over last year. Two years ago, we had Subiaco from the Waffle. Uh, so it's, it's neat to actually have a team of umpires come over and work because you know, the development of playing is good, but in order to have a successful community, you need to have parts like good umpiring and to have them come over and to help and, and hopefully maybe inspire some folks who are on the fence about maybe doing it to do it would be fantastic. So uh, really excited to have uh, Michael O'Keefe and his uh, team up. Uh, I know they're spending going to be spending a couple weeks here in the U.S., uh, not just umpiring, but also just traveling around. I know they're going to go watch uh, some uh, gridiron uh, as well. So uh, really excited to uh, have them involved and to meet them as well. Cool. Um, just as we uh, wrap up, I guess... Um... Is there anything else you wanted to say about the Nationals that we haven't covered already? Well, um, we are, our plan, uh, we'll be uh, probably announcing it a little bit as we get a little bit closer. Uh, last year, we actually streamed about a dozen or so matches, including the, uh, the women's uh, grand final and the, uh, the uh, Division One grand final. Uh, the plan actually is to have all three grand finals, uh, Division Three, Division Two, II, Division One, in succession. So uh, we're hoping to be able to stream some of that live online. Um, and uh, so you can uh, check that out. Just keep an eye on our website. It's uh, usafl.com. Uh, social media on Facebook, we're uh, facebook.com slash usafl and on Twitter at usafl1997. Uh, so that's the plan. Um, I know last year it went off pretty well um i'll be uh, uh commentating matches with uh rod grilicic uh, better known to you and me as grilla the urban cowboy and uh scott matheson scuda who is uh actually uh helped uh form uh, one of the women's teams the columbus jewel ruse uh so uh that'll be fun and um yeah, uh, like I said, it's going to be uh, the, uh, next weekend, the 17th and the 18th. Uh, it should be great fun. Um, the one thing that I really have liked over the uh, just, you know, doing the social media and whatnot is just how much support we've gotten from the footy community back in Australia. Um, of all of our Facebook fans, and I think, you know, we're, we're creeping up around 4,800. I would say about half of them are Australia, and I and I think that's because they didn't realize there's a there's a thing here. So it's great to see them get around us and uh, you know throw their support behind uh, teams, uh, you know not just uh, folks that they have allegiance to, like for example Collingwood fans supporting the New York Magpies, but you know just getting behind teams from the different cities and getting you know really sort of cheering us on in a sense. So. Uh, yeah, it should be exciting, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have uh, folks uh, keep an eye on us as, uh, as we head out to Austin. Mm. You're talking earlier about uh, Eric Wallace, and uh, yes. unfortunately he was delisted by North Melbourne uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, are you expecting him to come back to America? Um, That's a good question. I, I know my understanding was is he was going to try and maybe get with another club, but I, I, I can't say for certain. Um, I don't know. And, uh, I know that there are a few clubs that would really, really love to have his services, mm. uh, not just because he's a skilled athlete, but just because of the experience of playing over in Australia for, uh, you know, three seasons, uh, that's invaluable. Um, it'd be neat to have him come back, but, uh, um, I'll say this, it's, it's good to see, you know, um, again, Jason Holmes, 
breaking in was uh, really, really exciting. Again, you know, it helped give us a little bit of exposure. A lot of people in Australia didn't know that there was a league. Uh, uh, but um, uh, the one player who we're really keeping an eye on is Alex Riccio, who's playing for the Northern Blues. Uh, he actually played for the New York Magpies for one season. Uh, I actually got a chance to play against him uh, last season uh, briefly because uh, he was playing for the Magpies uh, when he was playing against the Hawks. And uh, so at least if he makes the AFL, I'll have some sort of claim to fame. But uh, but um, yeah, he uh, it's it's good to see all this happening. Uh, you know, to get some exposure for us. Uh, hopefully, you know, uh, more folks will see that there's a, a sustainable league here in the U.S. and uh, get behind it. We got Mason Cox as well. He debuted this year. Yes, he well, he didn't make it to the. He did play in the NAB Cup. He did not make it to. Uh, I didn't make he, the senior club. He did not make the senior club. I thought for sure when they were eliminated uh, that he was going to see a game. I, I'm personally, I, I think he deserved it, um, considering how well he did for Collingwood's mm. VFL side. But, but we'll see. You know, next year's another year. Um, you will. My guess is if all goes well, you'll probably see him in the NAD Cup again. And uh, you may even see him uh, towards the end, you know, towards the end of the season again. So, But it's very, very encouraging to see these guys. And the hope is is really to see them, you know, if if they can see how successful that these folks can be, they'll want to, you know, come through the pipeline of the league, of the USAFL, and then, you know, if they're if they're able to give something to an AFL team, you know they're looking for guys who are 21, 22 years old. So that's one thing we'd like to see is maybe get their guys get their start uh, in college. You know, with some of these college clubs that we'd like to see formed, or through the USAFL, and they get picked up. Uh, you know, either by the VFL or the AFL, and then you know get that pipeline through, much like Jason Holmes did. Mm. Speaking of college, uh, Carlton drafted, oh, well, not drafted, we recruited Matt Korchek. Uh, yes. As a result of the combine uh, that was held in the U.S. earlier in the year, do you know anything about him? Um, I know that he's tall. I know that he that the uh, the Blues really see a lot in him, which is which is good. Um, but I guess that shows you uh, how valuable that combine is. Is you know you get to see guys who uh, uh, really. You know, they're they're athletic. They still are athletically gifted, and they may not be. You know, they may not make it to the NBA or something along those lines. You know, but uh, or in Europe, they have an opportunity to to uh, go and play a sport at such a high level, which is fantastic. So I don't know. I don't know as much about him as I do uh, uh, Coxie or Riccio, but uh, he is uh, very impressive from all accounts, and uh, you know, hopefully, he does well in uh, in Carlton. Mm. See, I'm a Carlton man, and obviously the Northern Blues are Carlton's reserve side, and by all reports, Richie had an okay year, but not really good enough to probably warrant being drafted, which is unfortunate because um, the way he went over to play, uh, rather than be taken as an international rookie, mm-hmm. and he got taken, he, he went and played in the VFL first, which means he can't be taken as an international rookie, he has to be taken through the draft, and that mm-hmm. might uh, scare a few clubs off him. It's... Um, it's a pity because I, I rate him quite highly, but yeah, and he's going to have to perform yeah, pretty well. I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I actually saw, you know, you look at some of his numbers throughout the course of the year, and, you know, there was the one day where he had, I think, something like 35 or 40 hitouts, and he just, you know, he went to town. Um, so, you know, you you look at those and you think, well, anybody who can win that many hitouts can succeed at, at the AFL level. 
And but then again, you look at at Holmesy and you know his first week he had you know. 36, 37, 38 hit outs. And then the next week, I think he only had about 15. Mm. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's, it is going to be a little bit of a risk, but um, you know, just the fact that he's there and, and uh, you know, playing, I think I, you know, you never know what next year is going to bring. Uh, and I think that uh, you know, now that he has a full year of VFL under his belt, you know, maybe, maybe he'll uh, uh, rise up a little bit and you never know. What's your position on having these guys turn up and play for the US, like the International Cup? You mean having these guys go and, and play as, uh, you know, represent the US? Yeah, when you guys play international games. My feeling is, is this. I, you know, obviously they have the benefit of playing the of playing and training really as their job. Um, I don't know if they would necessarily be classified professionals at this point. Um, and, and you may probably know, I guess, a little bit more about the structure of that than I did. They're, they're, this is essentially semi-professional because a lot of these guys, they still hold down jobs for the most part, right? Uh, if they're on an AFL list, probably not. Probably not, yeah. yeah. All right, well... I, uh... I'll be honest. I think that uh, really the international cup is for, you know, the guys who toil sort of in the club systems, um, you know, and again, no, no disrespect to any of those guys. Cause I think it would be great to have them on any club. And I'm sure Tom Ellis, who coaches the Nat, the, the men's national team would love to have, you know, uh, Jason Holmes as a starting Ruckman. But um, at the same time, the development of the national programs themselves, uh, they start with the clubs and, um, we like the idea of having our clubs uh, participate and contribute towards the national program. Uh, so I would rather see the guys that come up through the clubs to do that. Now, if there's a guy who is registered with a USAFL club who maybe hey, happen to go over there, you know, I, I, I think that would be fine, but I would like, would really, really like to see this stay, you know, the best players from the from the clubs come up. I I think we're a long way away from a from an Olympics type competition or you know like Olympic hockey where these guys are all over you know and then they come back and they play for their country. I think this is the the idea is that this is mostly a grassroots thing and and it should probably stay that way. The only reason I ask is because we're getting a, we're starting like you know, like from Ireland and New Zealand and, and the US the number of players in the system is starting to even out a little bit. Um, and I say that because New Zealand has four or five players in the system now. Um, the US, there are players in the system now. Ireland has always had, you know, a couple of players in the system every year. And I was just thinking, well, that's starting to balance out. At least, you know, we could maybe have those teams play each other at full strength. It would be neat to have a, uh, you know, sort of a state of origin, uh, in that sort of spec, maybe like a Australia versus the world once the numbers get up a little bit better. And I think mm. the quality of the players coming over are a little bit better. Um, you know, not everybody coming over from Ireland is uh, Ty Kennelly or Jim Stein. That's right. Uh, and not everybody coming over from the U.S. is uh, is Jason Holmes at the moment. Mm. Uh, so it'd be, it would be, you know, it would be neat to actually, you know, you're talking about the International World Series and all that. It would need to, to be actually have a footy match uh, with some of these guys that come from internationally. And I think, you know, we're not at the point where I think if you took the top 
Australian players and you took the top foreign players and put them together in a match that it would be terribly competitive as of yet. Maybe if you took maybe more like the rookies or you took like uh, the um, the uh, All-Stars team, like the Aboriginal All-Stars or something along those lines. But uh, it would be neat to see something like that happen at that level. Uh, but I, I regard the international competition as more of a grassroots with, with the clubs. Uh, and, and so... It'd be neat to see that happen, but I think some separation for the time being is is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'm just purely spitballing there for a minute. That's all. Oh, it's a great. Oh, it's a great. You know, it's a good topic for discussion, especially when you consider you know how much the international cup has grown. And you're looking at uh, you know last couple of years, you've had 18 teams come in, and you know it's been so many that they've had to you know divide them up into divisions and and uh, you know break everybody down. I think that uh, I think it's it's definitely a conversation worth having, and mm-hmm. it might be you know something worth you know it might grow into something bigger if you have a number of players coming in that are at that level. So it, you know, yes, would be. A good idea probably you're looking at at least you know 15 20 years down the road mm. and of course you don't know how you don't know how well uh you don't know how quickly that this you know the international pool is going to develop and uh you know the afl uh, i i think it would be fair to say has you know it, it's 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 interesting to see how they've approached the international growth of the game uh so who knows how long something like that would take it does. It does seem that the AFL is more concerned about bringing players to Australia than they are about developing players in other countries. And I find that very weird because you have a you know you have especially here with us we have a a thirty five team you know league. It's a it's a cross country league. Uh, you know, and, and unfortunately. You know, we don't have the resources. I think we have, you know, we have a lot of resources to do what we have to do and, and you know, put together a good competition. Um, it would, you know, but I, I'll say this on the other side. Uh, Dennis Ryan said last year, you know, the AFL can only do so much for us. We have to, we have to do a lot of it on our own. So we have to mm. take responsibility on our own. And uh, which is good. I think it, it's definitely good, but it would be nice to see the AFL really sort of, instead of us being a footnote to some of these guys come into the league, it, it would be really, really, really nice to see them sort of talk us up a little bit and, you know, give us some attention. Um, we do have folks that are interested in coming over, um, you know, Dan Jackson from the uh, former player for the Richmond Tigers uh, and uh, Ben Griffiths, who's currently with uh, the Tigers. They're coming over to do a player's uh, um, clinic uh, next Friday at, in Austin, which I think is fantastic. Um, Dan, Actually, himself, I interviewed him. He actually uh, served as an assistant coach with the Canadian women's team at the Parallel Cup, and the year before uh, was an assistant coach with the French men's team. So it's great to see these guys get involved. Uh, it would be neat to see you know, the AFL have a little bit more oomph behind it, uh, but you never know what will happen in the future. Yeah, that's very true. Um, look, just quickly about the women's game. I mean, obviously, uh, we've had some women's games in Australia this year. They've proven relatively popular. Uh, they're telling me in Europe that the women's game is got, that they've got record numbers turning up for their tournaments, um, and that they're looking very much towards uh, an expansion in women's football over there. How's women's mm-hmm. football growing in the US? It's growing very well. Um, like I mentioned, we have enough to where we can have essentially nine teams competing. Uh, we have five full teams, and then we have you know four teams that are combined sides. Um, but it's it's growing, and it's growing extremely well. 
And I think the best part is, is not only, you know, I would say, you know, we do have a fair bit of, uh, you know, Australians involved, but for the most part, uh, a lot of Americans and uh, they're seeing this uh, as a, you know, as an alternative to some of the other sports, we do have a fair bit of uh, rugby players and Gaelic players as well that have uh, switched over. Um, and we've had a number of players, uh, a couple of players head over to Australia and play. I mentioned Lorraine Cuoco from uh, Sacramento. Uh, she actually had gone over and, and stayed behind after the International Cup to play in uh, Wollongong uh, in New South Wales. Um, and I mentioned, uh, you know, we've had a, a fair bit of interest the other direction from Australia to have uh, players come over. I mentioned Jess Wuchner. Um, you know, she reached out to us and she wanted, you know, to, to not only help grow the game here, but also herself get that experience of coaching get that experience of playing and, and really, you know, to help, to help herself and her career, be it, you know, back in Australia or be it here in the U S maybe, you know, uh, starting staying behind and maybe helping the Boston club grow. Um, you know, you look at the national team you know, we have enough to where we have enough for a full national side and a development side. Um, both of which competed not only at the Parallel Cup uh, in Florida against the Canadians, but also back in uh, you know, last year at the International Cup in Melbourne. Um, you know, there is a lot of really, really good things going on. The quality is getting very, very, very good. There it is, you know, there was a lot of spirit. If you look at some of the videos from, I want to say like 2008, you know, the spirits there, the skills are, you know, maybe not so much, but the, uh, the, the game that play is very, very spirited. And now it's just a completely different beast. The skills are very, very good. Uh, they're getting better. You know, we have some really good players that could, you know, uh, I would say uh, uh, do well. I would say they'd be able to handle themselves in Australia and really just get better from an experience like that. But I, I am the personal belief. And again, I'm not trying to curry any favors with anybody. I, I sincerely mean this. Um, I think that the development of the women's game is as important, if not more important than the development of the men's game. The men's game is going to grow because there's always going to be an abundance of athletes, but getting people who are involved uh, and want to grow this sport as a community. And, you know, it's such an, it, it's, it's so easy to get involved. Um, you know, just a, just a come in and, and, you know, just be interested in it and boom, you know, you're, you're one of us, you know, uh, the women's community here is very, very tight-knit. Uh, you know, I got the chance to go up to New York and cover a tournament with uh, New York, Boston, Baltimore, Washington, and San Francisco, who had flown all the way out there. And that had all grown from, uh, you know, just some some uh, idle, uh, you know, chatter at the International Cup last year where a couple of San Francisco girls were like, yeah, we can take you guys in New York. And next thing you know, they had a tournament. But uh, – you know, it's great to see that grow. I'm, you know, I'm really excited to be a part of that as well, to watch that uh, just even over, you know, my seven years involved with the league, how how well that's grown. And I think that it's going to grow into something spectacular, uh, you know, not just the men's game as well, which is growing, but it, it, it's great to see such dedicated women and dedicated human beings uh, involved in this endeavor. Okay, well, it's been an awesome chat this morning, Brian. A little bit longer than I thought it was going to go for. But uh, it has been awesome nevertheless. Thank you very much for talking to us on this, uh, well, the week before the Nationals. 
Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it greatly. And hey, thank you for uh, thanks for having me on, and thanks for talking this up, and uh, thanks for uh, talking up the international game. It's uh, something that I think uh, really needs to be uh, um, focused on more. And uh, great to have folks like you uh, talking up. Not a problem. I've been talking to Brian Barish, the media manager for the United States Australian Football League. Their nationals are next week. Biggest ones ever, according to Brian. You can visit the website for more details at www.usafl.com.